In 2016, our guest agreed to complete the Vasalopa, a nine-mile run through the snow-covered Swedish forest without ever having had skis on. This is just one of several challenges Josh has faced in recent years, to emphasize that most things are possible, even if it does not look like it. He's often referred to as the charity adventurer. And now you're here with us. Yes, I am. Thanks for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me here. It's great to have you here. Kim, this is an exciting guest to have, isn't this, it? This is a different <laughs> and exciting guest. Uh, this is like the role reversal. You're you're an American that have adventured out in the world. You're yeah. not a, 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 a... We're normally doing the opposite, getting yeah. people to come to your country to take advantage of the great system they have there with college, sports, etc. But yeah. you go... Completely the other way. It's to prove that f- planes fly both directions. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it is. So um, a couple of weeks back, I met you. Uh, you were a guest speaker at the Right to Play lunch mm. where, you know, uh, we're collaborating with Right to Play. You're collaborating with Right to Play. And I don't often get inspired uh, by stories or quotes, <laughs> uh, things like that. Uh, but you were the guest speaker at that lunch and you had you know, your story for 20, 25 minutes. And mm-hmm. I got really inspired. And I went up to you and talked to you after that. And, uh, after, you know, after five minutes of talk, we ended up talking about that we have a podcast yeah. and what we do. And, you know, I heard your story. And then I asked you if you would think or think about coming here and, and talk with us. And it's great to have you here because we have a, a lot of cool stories that's <laughs> going to come ahead here. Yeah. Uh, and but, most of them are true. And most of them are true. <laughs> which we need to emphasize on that. Yeah, yeah most of them are true, actually. Uh, but it's funny, because as Kim mentioned here, you, you grew up in Colorado. I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm a Colorado boy. I was actually, I was born in the Swedish Memorial Hospital in Denver. I don't know why we have a Swedish Memorial Hospital out there in the mountains in Colorado, but we do. And that's where I come from. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, born in Denver and then raised outside in the spring. So I'm a Colorado kid yeah. from the beginning. So, yeah. Originally, and, and and that runs me back to the, the intro that I stated here, because mm. you completed the Vasalopa without, without never having had skis on. <laughs> yeah. And for most Europeans, when they think about Colorado, yeah. they think of, you know, snow. Yeah, yeah, actually, and for most Americans as well, like, we, yeah. like you go to Colorado to ski. Yeah. Um, my family, we live quite south, in the city, just south of Colorado Springs, mm. and uh, I think inherently, look, Mom, Dad, love you guys, but I, I think inherently we're a pretty lazy family growing up. It, just skiing, I, we certainly went like sledding. Yep. Um, and we did all sorts of other things. Like I, I did ample things to break my arm as a kid, you know, falling out of trees and all that stuff. That's fine. But in terms of actually getting up, doing the ski pass thing, and certainly not cross country skiing, that wasn't such a big thing in Colorado, especially then. No. Um, but even even downhill, it just wasn't really a thing. So yeah, no, I uh, I figured I'd start with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like most people think. Uh, yeah, and Vasaloppe, this is uh, a very traditional Swedish uh, ski run, and yeah. it's 90 kilometers. That's right. And on cross-country skis, you, yeah. you don't get any help from downhill here. You have to muscle your way through 90 kilometers of, of skiing. Yeah. And it's it's quite a challenge, and you yeah. never put on skis on your feet 
before until the day you actually did that run until the morning of the race yeah and it's funny there's a couple of different ways to describe the numbers right so we could say of course in norway we have like nine miles but i was like like 90 kilometers like the bigger the number the better if i could break that down into inches and make it still sound relevant i'd do (laughs) that but um yeah the morning of the race is the first time i ever skied and uh yeah you really get to know yourself it was minus I mean, it's minus 17 degrees, seven o'clock in the morning in Salem, Sweden. I mean, it's Sweden, so there's like, there's an ABBA cover band pumping up the crowd off to the side. 16,000 people lined up at the start line to do the race. Everyone has skied before, except for me. <laughs> and uh, it was incredible. Like, it was, yeah. But you were also looking one of the most professional maybe yeah. on the starting line. <laughs> in you, Australia, uh, in Australia, there's a, a saying, and, and maybe I'm, Maybe it goes all over the place, but they say all the gear, no idea. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I had I I because the story got quite big, right? I mean, taking it back, I yeah, and we can go into that in a little bit when we talk yeah, about that piece. But but um, the the story gained a lot of momentum in Australia because I was doing it for a purpose, in particular, children's charity, and that's yeah. One thing kind of led to another, and um, I was fortunate enough to get put in contact with the Norwegian Olympic ski team because the story became quite uh, big in Australia and they reached out and offered to actually sponsor me with all the gear. They gave me a lot of support, connected me with uh, a woman, a, a cross-country skier from Slovenia that I was able to learn and train from in Sydney and get me up to a competency level to do this, uh, this race. Because as it turns out, for the listeners at home, uh, 90 kilometers of skiing isn't easy to do if you've never done it before. <laughs> no, I oh, bet. We, we have our CEO, Stuart Steinbrei. When I first took him skiing here in Norway, uh, there wasn't much technique. There was yeah, a lot of willpower, yeah. and he's yeah. he's strong and he's he's well-trained, but, you know, he got ridiculously tired yeah, in his arms fair. from doing it. And if, you, if you're not... I mean, I'm not saying all Scandinavians are technical wonder kids on skis but you, you when you learn from a young age yeah at least you're you're a bit more efficient and yeah. i mean i've never been even close to doing 90 kilometers in one go yeah I mean, maybe you do maybe 30 yeah and then you'll be super tired after yeah. that yeah and uh, so so what you did there you know to put into perspective yeah. it's quite a how, how do you even come up with that yeah such a crazy idea to do it of yeah. course it's a great thing for charity 100 but also you could have done many other things for charity yep mm. yeah it's it's so it's a fine balance of having a lot of fun creating a crazy story showing people and i truly believe this and I, this comes from me as a young age like i i don't disbelieve it i know that anything is possible and when you set yourself for big crazy goals especially when it's driven by things like being able to help kids like with right to play you know, along the way it's it, you can really and truly do anything and it's funny you're talking about with the ceo that you took out skiing i am um, saying about the technique it reminds me of what my business professor used to say about me in school he's like josh he's like you are often wrong but you're always confident <laughs> and it's just like this blind confidence even though you don't know exactly what you're doing yeah it's often it gets you there but yeah, without without technique, it's uh, it it can tire you out. So I always have full respect for every sport that I go into because every challenge is something completely different and very 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 different training and like very different skill sets from one another. And I don't take them as meh. I'll just show up and figure it out. Like you've got to put the work into it. And some I've learned that I needed to put a lot more work into um, than than I did at the time. So it's it's always a lot of respect. But yeah, but. 
it's for me it it comes down to the dream is the most important thing so dream first identify the dream and then work out the details later yeah i'm not like that i like that but but you because you you went to community college yeah in washington washington uh, state yeah in state then and then you kind of paved your way to australia that's right you yeah. set yourself a goal there exactly which was not related to charity but no. that was more for you personally to to do that what what was the drive behind that it's interesting you say that because uh, that same business professor his name is jerry glendenning um he, he, a legend in my life uh, the, the guy that quoted me you know is uh, often wrong but always confident he asked me i wanted to take my two-year degree and transfer to australia with that and he asked me why now this is my business professor asking me so i wanted to come up with a business professor appropriate response and i said well i think you know the business school there and Macquarie University in Sydney is rated quite high and blah, blah, blah. And I came up with all these kind of technical responses. And he's like, he's looking at me. He's like, blah, blah, blah. It's going to be awesome. That's why you're going. <laughs> like, it's going to be a great experience. I was like, yeah, actually, you're right. Yeah, 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 but definitely. you felt you had to defend going I, to Australia yeah, yeah. in his class. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And his, his it was actually a one on one chat with him. I thought I, you know, I'm talking to my business professor. I had to speak from this, you know, kind of real routine kind of uh logical kind of perspective and he's like no yes he goes blah 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 he's like it's gonna be amazing over there that's why you're going i was like yeah actually so <laughs> it's 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 funny because the the mindset the endurance mindset and the goal setting uh that i've really picked up over the last number of years it's not just with the challenges and that's a, that's that's a really good call out because it did start I and mean, probably even prior to that but that one of the biggest challenges that I had was moving to Australia from the US and I'd never been there. I didn't know anybody there. I just, I grew up in the mountains and I just wanted to go live at the ocean. And, and yeah, and I remember starting with the dream because the community college that I had at the time, South Puget Sound in Washington state, they didn't have an exchange agreement with Macquarie university, the university I wanted to go to. And so I like I volunteered time and actually worked with the exchange office, really lovely people there. But I worked with them and and sent packets of information back and forth. I mean, we're not talking email. It was printing, mm -hmm. <laughs> putting in massive manila envelopes and mailing them off and, and and engaged in this dialogue between the two schools. And through that kind of cut a path for for uh, for transfer between the for, like a, an educational courseway between South Puget Sound Community College and Macquarie University, and I and I went on that. It was the dream. And when I first met them, and again, they're great folks, but I remember they said, "Well, you might need to pick another school because we don't have a, a relationship with a, a school that close to Sydney." But that was outside of my dream. Mm -hmm. My dream, I want to live in Sydney. So details later, I just, just kept doing the work and established the relationship and I got an email about a year later after going to the school there from another girl that had gone on that same transfer and she emailed me she's like hey, I just want to say thanks because I know that you did a lot of the work to to establish that relationship between the two schools and I was like yeah it's just dream first and just figure it out yeah you created your own path 100% yeah yeah I'm a big that, fan of that yeah we we, we can see that and <laughs> it's, it's inspiring and but th that is what our students do you know, they obviously go to the place you left, uh, yeah, yeah. but but they have to also figure out uh, w what their dream is and then yep. pursue that. Yeah. Uh, hmm. And and that is, uh, I think, you knew that you wanted Sydney, yeah. right? But I think a lot of the students that we help, 
they some might want to go to California sure. or New York. Yeah, I mean, typical yeah. places they've heard about, but We're a lot the best of the, place in the U.S. Also, Colorado. Sorry, I'm a little biased. <laughs> many, many. <laughs> there's actually uh, a lot of people that want to go there, yeah. but they also want to do that because they want to go skiing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add that. Yeah, I've heard uh, they do that there too. But there's yeah. a lot of golfers in Denver. You know, yeah. that, that's a popular place for Scandinavians to go. So it's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I think, um, it's uh, you need to take responsibility for if you have a vision and an yeah. ambition. You you need to. Of course, we. And in our job with our student athletes, we, we're here to help them with the path. I mean, yeah. in, in your case, you just f- managed to get one uh, agreement with a school set up where, where you were already at, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but for, for us, it's more we have to guide them, but we it's yeah. based on what they want. Mm-hmm. And it's our job to go out and find it. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's a, I think the, um, to take that leap of wanting to go from safe home yeah. to experience something else that that is it's a huge. huge thing it's a huge thing it's it's by far by far the most impactful thing that i've ever done in my life yeah. was was giving myself the permission to be that person to change schools or to go to another school in a whole different country and then when you land it's like it was i mean i still go back to it and then we were talking a number of years ago it was 2000 four into 2005 i started the school year 2005 in australia so it was, it was a little while ago but um it was the yeah it was the single most impacting experience that i'd ever had and and i guess as a, a point of advice for students or you know, the for folks that would be interested in making a shift like that is exactly what i learned in this story from that professor of mine because we can really especially when they're talking there's this in justification mode we go through like we're gonna justify it to our friends we're going to justify it to our family. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I remember early on, a lot of my friends and family, they're, 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 there was this kind of funny transition where I was crazy for wanting to relocate. I'd never been to Australia before. Why would I go over there and all this? And so we have to. We feel like we have to justify, well, it, like I did with the professor. Oh, it's, well, it's a good business school and, and my dollar will go further over there and all this stuff. But my challenge, I guess, to the students listening to this is actually really, really connect with what my business professor, funnily enough, helped me connect with, which was like, yeah, but what's the story? Like, what is the thing? I mean, deep, deep inside. What's what, in why you? do you want to do like, that? Why do you why do you want to? It could be California, it could be Colorado, it could be Idaho, it could be wherever in the anywhere in the world. But what is that thing in you where, OK, got it. There's the details. And they're relevant. So I'm not saying that they're not, they're useless. They're def- definitely relevant. Why are you proud of, like, interested in that school or that state? But the details aside of how you're really looking forward to getting that degree, fantastic. But what's that experience? Mm-hmm. Like really connect to that because that's the thing, I must admit, years later, it's that experience that changed my life. And, uh, and, and really being open and connected to that, which funny enough didn't come from me being like, you know, in my early 20s wanting to go off and do this, I want to just surf in Australia. It was my business professor that helped me reconnect to the importance of that experience. It wasn't just because this is going to be a good business degree. It was like, no, you're, you're going to grow as a person. Yeah. So, yeah, connect with that. But I, we obviously get a lot of preferences from our students that they've, they've decided on, I want to go the U.S. route. Sure. And then mm-hmm. we 
we talked to them and we're on the same page and what, what are we looking for here? Because yeah. we all, of course, every college recruiting process is unique. Sure. And there's many yeah. reasons for wanting to go. Some really care about their sporting uh, ambition and really want to make it maybe professionally if they're good enough for that. Others are really want to go to high-end academic school. Others might just want to have a, the greatest experience of all in Colorado to go skiing sure. and, and combine that with their sport and, and, and degree. But we also have to, there is a recipe to this, but each process will be different. Yeah. And mm. we have to kind of make it up a little bit as we go. We, we've oh. seen enough cases that we, we can, we know how to navigate, but also how, you know, the process is with maybe something changes along the way or, sure. or they there's been a change in what they really wanted to study. That sure. can happen. So yeah. I think it's also the flexibility and... and People do change over time, and we work yeah. with these students yeah. for quite a long time. Obviously, I changed over time because mm. I, so I, when I went to the U.S., I talked to Stu, who's the CEO, and uh, I said that I wanted to go to a big city at first. Yep. Ended up in Boston, big city. Oh yeah, I've and, never been there. No, great city, sounds, my sounds favorite incredible. city. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and then after that year, uh, I talked to Stu again because I wanted to transfer. And not because I didn't love the city, but I wanted to do something else academically sure. and wanted to explore more the U.S. And I'm a big skier, downhill skier, and always loved it. And then I talked to Stu if there was any possibility to end up to, at a school where there's, you know, possibly going skiing on sure. Saturdays and Fridays and Thursdays and Wednesdays. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the others. And then I ended up in a small area in New Hampshire. So from, you know... My first time going over, I wanted to be in a big city. And then after a year, when you get a bit more confident with your English, you get a bit more confident with the country you're in. Sure. And then exploring more of that country. And then I ended up in New Hampshire where, you know, you're surrounded by the White Mountains. You could go skiing every day. And, you know, first-hand experience, that was brilliant because yeah. you change over those, you know, four years you're there as well. Yeah. And I think that that goes for a lot of things. But... I was going to touch on this a bit later, but I think it suits better to touch on it right now. But uh, usually when we talk to former clients we've had here on the podcast, and usually what the advice they give to younger athletes and younger students thinking about going, I think that suits well with your story as well. That mm. They always say, just go for it. Because mm. if that's something that's inside of you that you you sort of think about, oh, the U.S. would be a dream or, or a school in the rest of the world would be a dream. Just go for it because you could always come back. Did you ever think about that as well? Like, all right, I'm going to go for Australia because I know that Colorado and Washington are always there if it mm. doesn't if it doesn't suit me. Just uh, go for it. Ab absolutely. It is that. And <clears throat> as I said, it's, it, 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 it's go for it despite the feedback that you're getting, yeah. which is kind of a point I was getting to before. I remember when I was... Wanting to move over there, um, the, like I said, the response was, you're crazy for doing this. Like, why would you go? And friends and family, and, and though for coming from a place of care, they were like, oh, why are you going to go over and do it? So it, at one point in your life, when you're on your path, you will be involved in things where people first identify as crazy, and then something funny happens. After a little while, it evolves to lucky. And I remember when I was in Australia, it was like a year later, I went home for Christmas and my friends were like, oh, you live over there. You're so lucky. I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because a year, a year ago, I was crazy yeah. because I just went for it. I backed myself 
and that that yeah just really and and i've got another point to that as well actually to make it a little bit more practical i'm going to say something a little bit controversial um because i'm a i'm a motivational speaker right i give mm. presentations for a living quite often and i'm kind of bored with talk about purpose uh. Mm. Uh, or, or with motivation, because we talk about it as if it's something that you're supposed to be able to go get, right? I'm going to go off, I'm going to go to that purpose place in the world, I'm going to find my purpose, and I've got my purpose, now I'm going to set my purpose on my desk, and I'm good. No, like, I, to me, I think purpose is a byproduct of action. So in that just go for it, 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 it could come across as like a TED Talk kind of title of like, yeah, follow your dreams, hashtag inspiration, live my best life. But it's like, well, but actually, when you do rip in and go for it and actually create, when you turn your vision into a verb, write that down, mm. but when you turn your vision into a verb and actually do something with it, purpose comes as a byproduct of that. Motivation comes as a byproduct of that, but it's just backing yourself and going and doing the thing. Yeah. I'm a motivational speaker. I just told you I don't believe in motivation. How about that? Yeah. Well, Trolls is uh, rarely inspired, but I'm. Um, I can see from his eyes here. He's. Uh, yeah, I'm. You know, I. I totally inspired agree. right now. Yeah, I am. So mm, good man. We'll get back uh, to sort of the main story. You ended up living in Australia for 13 years. Yeah, it's right? on 13 years. And you ended up being on the board of uh, Macquarie University. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> So it's fun how you created your own path. You ended up living there for 13 years, and then you ended up being on the board of that school. That I was you on the executive, over, yeah, yeah. The, the non-exec board of the university. And so I wasn't on the student board. I was actually on the executive committee board. Yeah. So the youngest, I was listed as the youngest registered board director in Australia. <laughs> and this is a big school as well. It was a massive school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah, it was. Um, it was great. So that that actually kind of came to pass because I I. Through way I volunteered for speaking of TED, but like TEDx Macquarie University event, I volunteered there and got to know the the, the dean quite well. And she had uh, well, she's the the vice dean, and she recommended just for my own learning pro process. She said there was a board a spot open on the board of the university and asked if I would apply for it. I said why, and she said just for interview experience. I think it'll be good for you. It's a panel interview, and they're going to be hammering questions at you and. We, they wanted to in, um, bring someone onto the board of the university that would head up campus engagement mm. um, and help with marketing, social media, because that was uh, starting to become a pretty big thing way, what, a number of years ago, and, and basically help guide through that. And so I did the interview. I was asked back for another interview, and then I got a packet of <laughs> sheets, like legal documents in the mail, asking me to sign and do a background check because I got the position. So I was a board director for six years. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's quite funny. And while you were in Australia, um, and this is the next part we're going to talk about, the charity adventure mm. is born. Mm -hmm. So, Josh, as I mentioned, um, I'm not easily inspired, and I don't really get inspired by a lot of things. <laughs> uh, but there was one thing that really stood out to me. Um, when we met at the Right to Play lunch and when you were a guest speaker there or a motiva motivational speaker there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you know what I'm talking about here. It's um, it, it, it's interesting, man. So it, it, I, I do know what you're talking about because you told me about that when we had met. And I really appreciate, I very much appreciated the feedback that I got from you on this actually because this sentence is really what I use as a litmus test for designing and guiding my life. Because often we get into things, we're, we're so close to 
are well we're obviously we're really close to our own stories we're really close to our own problems our own situations our own you know the people involved for me i think it's really hard to make conscious design decisions about life on a regular basis because a lot of things can become default when we don't take a higher level view so to that point what i shared in that talk uh if if, if i'm thinking correctly is there's there's a a question that I ask, and that is, if my life story was a book, is that a book that I would love to read? And what that does is, and it's, and I'm going to say that again, actually. So if my life story was a book, is that a book that I would love to read for the listeners? And that is, a, it's a pretty big question when we ask ourselves that. And I, it's not like the, okay, yeah, I heard that Josh guy say this thing once and I've, I answered it. And yeah, my book's great. And I'm fine. I, I ask myself this all the time to make sure that I'm on track with what I want. And the thing that I like about this question is that it's so specific for each and every one of us in our own journey. So it doesn't have to be like, if your life was an adventure book, is that a book you like to read? Because maybe your book isn't an adventure book. You know, mm -hmm. maybe people are like, I just really want to learn how to do that style of knitting and I want to nail it. You know, whatever that is, fantastic. But like, you have to really connect with what it is that your story is. And and just picture yourself, like if you're reading that book, you're the lead character in that book, and you're reading it, and that person's just spending a lot of time with that group or that job or that team or that whatever, and they, you just know they're not growing. You could feel it. You'd be like, man, I swear, if I turn three more pages and this dude is still, or this woman is still mm. in this story, I'm going to be pretty annoyed by this book. Mm. I want to put that book down. Yeah, I want to put that book one. down. I want to start another book. Like, I wish I could actually just rewrite this book. Uh-huh you can because that's the thing it's your it's your life and when you're looking at that as a story of for me in my book i knew if i stayed i was a sales manager in a retail store uh in colorado and i desperately wanted to move to australia and no offense to the industry i was that, that, that was very helpful and served a lot in my life at the time being in retail sales which was great but it wasn't my book long term i wanted to move to australia i felt i was like 22 at the time and i just mm. wanted something different and and I just knew, like, if, if that book didn't shift, if I was still reading that book now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't love that book as much as I love it now. And I must say, you know, yonth the love and aside, like, I love my book. Like, I would read it. I'm very proud of it. And I, because I've really given myself the permission to write it. And everyone has that, no matter where they're at in their book. Mm. It's just giving yourself the permission to, to rewrite that. So, yeah, it's initially asking my, myself that question the first time really had me take stock of where I was and what I was doing and uh, whether or not I needed to change it. And often you do. Because we, our students, they are, I would say they might have their most exciting chapter of their book during their four years in the US. Sure. And we talk about, you know, you can always come back if you don't like it, then yeah, like you say, rewrite your book and mm. study at home or yeah. do whatever you work yeah. at home. Mm. That's possible. but. Uh, you know, you can always take the safe road, route, which is, yeah, just do what most of your other uh, countrymen or friends or family members did. And yeah. that is quite ordinary, but that can work for many people. Absolutely. But it's also if you, if you take that leap of faith and you go to another country, like you did when you went to Australia, yeah. I did when I went to South Carolina, yeah. you did when we helped cool. you to, to Boston. Mm. And, you know, you can, we're all here in this seat now talking about it, reflecting yeah. on those decisions, and they were amazing for us. Yeah. 
so so it is uh, I, I would uh, certainly argue that I hear much more from our students that are graduated and that's part of doing this podcast to hear their journeys and and what uh, yeah hear about that chapter in their book yeah. and and see what new chapters will be a result of that decision they made Clear back back when it. they were 18 19 years old yeah. absolutely and i think an important thing to mention for that as well when you're 18 19 years old um most don't really know what they want but they have they have a dream most people do have a dream and in my case i think i was i just needed that nudge so if it wasn't for my dad that knew me really well uh he was the guy that says said go to the us Jules. Yeah. do something do something different because i know that you always wanted to go to the us or wanted to explore a different part of the world but if it wasn't for him just telling me that, given the approval, mm. I, I I don't think I would have gone. So it's just that that little sentence, that little nudge that he he gave me as well, that really realized that you know the dream came alive. Yeah, and I think that's important for young you know kids today as well. That talk with your parents; they know you best, or talk with your loved ones because that nudge might help you in the right direction. And you yeah. talk about having the higher view. Mm. They, they might help you see that perspective rather than you just being in your yeah. in your zone, just thinking, you know, it's harder to take a step back and maybe look at the whole Absolutely. scenario. And I think there's another thing here as well, which is the that, that space and time. Because I certainly remember when I was 18, 19, kind of going into 20, it, looking back and thinking, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm 40 next year. I still don't know what I want to do. And I love that. Mm. <laughs> like in a way, like in the grand scheme of things, like, yes, I'm on a career trajectory. Yes, I'm building a platform for adventuring and helping other people achieve their goals. Like I, I, I have my passions, but there's, I always look at it as um, just, to, just and, and this could be a me thing, but it's worked for me. So maybe some people could benefit from it. And I look at what do I, I always put the word next on. Like, what do I want to do next? Where, and it just in my life, it's helped me kind of take things in more digestible chunks. Because when we're designing what education platform, you know, or, or pathway we're going to take, um, when we're shaping that degree up to become X in career industry Y, and like we don't always know what that's going to look like, especially when you haven't traveled yet or you haven't, you just haven't experienced enough yet to really know yourself in different environments. I think my my kind invitation to that would say like, well, rather than asking yourself or laboring yourself with what do you want to be or what do you want to do? It's like, what do you want to do next? Mm. And often it makes it a little bit easier to, to break that down. Not, not as daunting. To just not think as of daunting. The next thing, that's like a small little step. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. And maybe people like from that kind, that great conversation you had with your father, mm. you know, because they could maybe because they've seen journeys in different stages or different you know, chapters in their books. And it's easier for other people to see, I could see you doing that next. Mm. But I almost wonder if that's not the view that people think from when they, when they actually do lend us some kind advice. Because even for other people giving you advice on something, it'd be so hard to say, Dross, you need to do this forever. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't really, huh? how does that even work? It's yeah. just, yeah, next. That sounds like a great conversation you had with your dad. Yeah, Good it was. for him. But we live by the by our ethos that every day we help driven people pursue ambition 
Ah, at our great company ethos. and and you know the pursue ambition that has always been and i remember coming up with this it's a tagline slogan it's great but it but it meant more to us we, we were sitting in south carolina we were still students at the time this is Stuart and me and uh, we you know founded this company and we you know didn't really know what we were doing we were still young and naive and but we were you know we have good hearts and just trying to make stuff happen building yeah something we didn't know what was what it was going to become but we we had a passion to to try and get others to do what we did and help them get to the states yeah. but then we were sitting in our dining room and we were listening to uh rolling stones give me shelter mm. we had that on repeat it was one of those we, we just we love that song we get played that it. in the background yeah. here right now and then yeah. we had, we'd just seen the the movie the departed uh, and that's obviously a Boston accent, yep. and we, yeah. we love the Scorsese, <laughs> DiCaprio, Matt Damon. Uh, we love that film, and we were, we were kind of watching that on repeat and listening to "Give Me Shelter" by Rolling Stones. Yeah. But then we wanted to come up with like we need something, something to inspire people. What we want to do, and we we love the word pursue because that was. Uh, you know, with with a Boston accent, uh, Matt Damon was uh, <laughs> saying, "Do not pursue." And we love just to, we got caught up in that word pursue, yeah. yeah. Which okay, but it, we like the word because pursue means to go and get something. Yeah, yeah. It's and a strong. It's, it's a, a, it's a strong word, and and yeah, in a Boston action. accent, uh, yeah. it sounds even better. Yeah. But then, yeah, we could have like the, like you said, pursue your dream. You know, dream is like for us is a bit more. Yeah. That's not concrete enough. Yeah. That's that might never happen but we like the word ambition because that is uh much a stronger word it's it's i feel we connected much more to that and we didn't want to add in your ambition i mean that's that's a given that it's when you pursue ambition that it's your ambition doing it so we want to just short and sweet and i remember the day that slogan was born in that whole mix of things but yeah at the core of that is pursue ambition that can be something completely different for you than it is for me and for every like every recruiting case we do for college is unique mm. the ambition is unique in education in sports in their motivation of why they want to go and do this and their career goals and maybe they don't even know yet yeah but uh that was a way for we we love working with people that have this drive that want to achieve something uh, and we feed off that uh, and we're lucky to work with a lot of our students that really really inspire us with what they've achieved mm-hmm. uh, it could be scoring a great goal in a an important game it could be improving their grades from being quite low to be to graduating with a with top ace all around at mm. good schools because we've seen the change from they were 18 till they're 23 and go to, on to say a grad school or land a great job somewhere or yeah. or start their own company yeah mm. so these things we feed off that and we get inspired every day yeah uh, but that pursue you know that can be many things and ambition also many many things you can uh, go and go and get yeah i, I connect with that in so many ways because i like the the pursue because as i said that's a that's an action word there's ver- that's a verb that's a you, you can picture something being done in that and and the ambition because ambition is is great but it, not but and it's it's like kinetic energy it's like this ambition like i have this ambition but uh 
Mm. <laughs> or like I, I really have an ambition to be a I don't know why tap dancer came to mind, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> uh, to be a tap dancer, but I'm just, uh, I just don't it's like, but that, the pursuit of that because that is the yeah, that it's, is it's, what brings that ambition to life. It's like if you don't have pursuit without ambition, if you don't have ambition without pursuit, it's not going to work. That's a really good framing, actually. Yeah, because you, mm. uh, it, it's sometimes it is about the pursuit, not the end results in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about we, let's look at this. You, we help someone to the states they pursue their bachelor's degree. The end result, the ambition was to get the bachelor's degree. But the pursuit is from you started that process and everything you experienced in uh, you know in all those years that yeah. led to that i mean the, you got the paper saying you got your bachelor's but it's all the other uh, experiences you got during your time studying and playing yeah. sport and and learning about culture and experience in the states mm. you know all that so that is the pursuit 100% and it's not just i mean yeah you have a bachelor diploma with a certain grade point average that just says you completed that but i think what you experienced that's for me when i did my bachelor's it's more about yeah. the actual process yeah. not yeah, about yeah. the diploma that yeah, i got yeah. in the, uh, got in the absolutely. end absolutely and, and even i mean if, even if you want to get mechanical and thinking about it like organizations because i know from being on the hiring side at the big in the big four firms so i was at pwc and kpmg and what you're looking for i mean great all due respect to the systems and processes around it but there's the degree and qualification. Good. You need that. You need mm. that. Okay. Um, but what you're looking for is the, the people that have gone through in the pursuit of that, that have grown, have challenged, and have experienced. This was a big one, but have experienced failure. Mm. That's another thing I'm a huge fan of is people that have really bombed something because that's when you you know that they know themselves at the face of failure. So don't any listeners out there, don't don't ever think that failure is a bad thing. Like, embrace it. You learn more from <laughs> oh, yeah. from failing and and getting up and, yeah. and doing it then in a different way yeah. than Absolutely. just all the time nailing it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, because even that story is like a person, a man or woman that goes from win to win to win to win. It's like boring. <laughs> but but real, the human sides, the experiences that go through that. That's the stuff that when that comes in the door for joining a career or a team or, I mean, you name it, you want people that have grown in the pursuit of their ambition. You want people that have really, like, learned in, and, and have battle scars, as I kind of made the playful comment before, of, you know, having battle scars in our career and the way in which we grow and shape ourselves due to the experience we've gained along the way, that is, that is the, that's the, that's the pursuit. Like, yeah. you want people that have spent time in the pursuit. The you, degree, degree is nice, but yeah, you need the degree to uh, get into KPMG. Mm. You can't just come with, "Hey, I failed a lot, and I yeah. learned from it." And <laughs> yes. can I get a manager job here? So when's pay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's we do speak with a lot of our students every semester, and some of them, ooh, lights we, are off. Yeah, lights are off. <laughs> we, let's keep going. Uh, but we learn that. Some some sometimes some weeks are difficult. Sometimes sure. you're homesick and you have to go yes. through a process where you gotta get over this hump where we know it's gonna get better, but you have to stick with it and yeah. work it out. Yeah. And there's so, sometimes that can take over too much. And I think that's an uh, important to have people backing you. I mean, we are certainly there to to speak. But also, you talk about your your dad being a, a supporter of you doing it. 
and also with your coaches and assistant coach and your academic advisors, mm. all the support network around you, you need to sometimes you need when when the going gets tough yep. and you then you you can get help here yep. and that is important yeah uh, and and if you don't if you don't don't quit then that's when you come out stronger on the other side 100% absolutely because that's that's the i mean we hear about endurance all the time and often we think about it in terms of how far someone can run um, or ski or ski <laughs> yeah, or mm. or you swim or you name it but it's the endurance mindset is the foundation on anything having to do with endurance. And people that go through those experiences and all of a sudden they realize they, I, I remember in my experience, you know, living in Australia, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm missing people's birthdays or I'm not going to be able to make it home for this this time. Or my brother got married and I was in exams. It's like, oh, too, uh. and when when you do start to kind of miss, because we're human, you know, these things are normal and natural. Mm. But when you do start to really go through and and learn that this journey does, and this is a big part of it, but this journey is going to take sacrifice. There, I can't have my cake and eat it too. I can't have all the stuff that I really like from back home and all the new stuff that I like from here and everything's just great. It's like my birthday every day. No, it, there's going to be some points where you're like, Ugh, okay, this journey means I had to let go of bits of that journey. And um, that is part of the endurance mindset that's just the the evolution and the shift of what it is that that we you know the the ingredients that we learn and develop along the way that bring us to being where we're going to be at on further further down the track i just heard it myself i'm not saying let, let, let go of your family <laughs> that was not my point yeah <laughs> you can always go back yeah there. you always go back to your family All right, so now we'll get to uh, what I think is a really, really fun part uh, of your life story. Uh, could you tell us about how the charity adventure became a reality and how you became the charity adventure? Yeah, it uh, it was it was a process of evolution because when I started this off, like when I did Vasilopa, I never expected that race to change my life in the way that it did. Mm. Certainly didn't expect to be sitting here in the studio having a conversation with you guys about it. Um, and for me, it was doing Vasilopa to help my friend and his wife with a, it was a grief counseling camp for children that have lost a loved one. And I was going to try to ra help them raise money and some awareness. And at the end of it, by the time I'd finished Vasilopa, the physical part of, part of Vasilopa, because the emotional part's not going to be there forever. Yeah. But it's that, that race produced uh we had uh, there's like three live national television interviews some interviews in sweden um interviews in norway and then the u.s and there was a lot of exposure and over 500 families signed up to that charity that didn't know it existed before off the off the back of finishing it and when i finished the race i i remember I was in a conversation with my mother uh, i got home and uh, called her at the you know i think it was like the next day and we were speaking about it, and she said, "You know, now you, you, your the opportunity, what you've created from this model, it's not an opportunity; it's a responsibility because all of this great stuff happened for the charity." And so I looked at that, and I realized I had an interesting model on my hands. So if I kept doing the hardest things in the world, these hardest physical challenges in the world, and things I have no idea how to do, and document that process to show people that some dude like me can do these things, I'm not very physically adept in my, from my background and and all, all the while each challenge goes to raise awareness for a new children's cause 
then really, really great things can happen. So that was the, that's where the responsibility comes in. It's not, it's not fun anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is fun, but it's not just fun. Mm. It is a responsibility. And so from there, I yeah, had a really kind of deep conversation with myself and some friends and some family, and, and I've completely redesigned my life to put these challenges at the forefront of everything I do. So I don't earn any money from the challenges. So 100% of the funds raised goes directly to every cause. And I do have the content, so I do speak uh, about it. And there, there are some certain sponsorships and things that we're talking about in the background um, to, to facilitate more of these challenges coming to life and bringing other people into the challenges as well. So that's kind of how it, <clears throat> excuse me, that's kind of how it happened. And I remember I was in a, um, on a, an interview in Australia on TV and they welcomed me back on air to talk about my second challenge after Vasa Lopez. And then when I went back on, it was on the Today Show. So it was like 2.2 million viewers live TV and walked out and then they introduced me on the set as the charity adventure. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> Stuck. And it was born. And, and it was born. born. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to go through each and one right now and then we're going to touch in uh, on them later. But mm-hmm. So Vasalopa, uh, you did that for charity. That's a 90 kilometer ski race. You mm-hmm. had to finish in 13 hours or get disqualified. You never stood on skis before and yep. you finished in 11 hours? 11 hours, 8 minutes and 58 seconds. Not All that right. I was counting. No, check. <laughs> and then you did unicycling for charity and this is the best part. It's a downhill mountain unicycling in San Sebastian yep. in Spain and yep. you had Four months of training. Yeah. And then you had... 14 kilometers down a mountain. 14 kilometers down a mountain. And then you had Off-Road Finnmark for charity, which is... Is it the toughest? It uh, is the world's hardest mountain bike race. Yeah, and that's 700 kilometers. Uh, and never done an off-road race before? I've never done a mountain bike race before. All right. So we're there. And then you hand cycle the length of Japan for charity, which mm-hmm. is... 2,112 kilometers. Yeah. It's a 22-day journey. You did that. And then cross the Atlantic Ocean on a bike for charity, a bike mounted on a sailboat. And then the next thing you're going to do is run the length of Norway in the air for charity. Yeah. So now that we mentioned all of these and the <laughs> listeners understand who we're talking about here and what we're going to talk about, I just want to touch on the what I thought was incredible. You did unicycling for charity mm-hmm. down a mountain in mm-hmm. San Sebastian. How did that come about? It's a funny conversation. I, it was just before I was actually going to go off to do Vasalopa. I was at a dinner uh, with at a friend's. A friend invited me to her friend's house, and the conversation came up, and we were talking about the ski race. and And someone asked, like, "What are you going to do next?" I was like, "Well, uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't really anticipating anything next, but I had heard about this sport out of Canada, coming out of Canada, fairly newish, uh, called mountain unicycling." Or, or Muni. And so what I did is I actually, I, I just brought that up. I said, I, I don't know, I, as a bit of a joke. I was like, I've been hearing about this, <clears throat> this thing called mountain unicycling. And the, and the guy whose house it was said, how did you hear about Muni? Like, I was like, I didn't even know it was called Muni, dude. I just, <laughs> mountain unicycling. He's, and his eyes got really big. He's like, wait a second. He goes into another room, no joke, comes out with a mountain unicycle. <laughs> This massive mountain bike tire, reinforced tubing, and a disc brake under the seat, and all this. And he changed his shirt as well. And it, on on the chest of his shirt, it said NBUC. And I was like, "What is this?" He's like, "This is the Northern Beaches Unicycle Club. I'm the president." 
<laughs> no joke. And he said, "If he goes, so the world's biggest mountain unicycle race is coming up in four uh, four months after you finish Vasilopa." And he's like, "We will train you. I'll get you a mountain unicycle and have you join the Australian unicycle team." And uh, the race was called Unicon, of course. Obviously. And uh, yeah, so I was I was competing about with about three hundred and fifty other people from around the world in the world's hardest mountain unicycle race, fourteen kilometers down the mountain. And uh, I didn't end up last. I was fifth from last night. I was pretty proud of that. <laughs> How many bones broken? Yeah, surprisingly, none. <laughs> I, I look like a full hockey goalie going down this thing. I had gear on all over because I fell. Yeah. I fell a lot. But uh, you just fall. You, and you're like, it's okay if you fall. You just get back up. You have to be very careful, though, because the, the oh, yeah, that, um, that race that went around cliff edges. I mean, the race organizers did a good job to keep it safe, but there was a lot of margin for error. And uh, yeah. It was. It took an hour and forty-five, hour and four, just under forty-five, an hour and forty-four minutes to get down 40, uh, 14 kilometers on one wheel over rocks and steps and up hills as well. And yeah, it was. It was involved. Yeah, yeah. At least even... only one hour and forty-five. But to, yeah. to bike through Japan with a hand bike yeah. <laughs> took twenty-two days. Twenty-two <laughs> days. Tiring. About ten hours a day, every single day. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you really get to learn a lot about yourself when you're hand cycling along, you know, Japanese highways at the at the eye level of mountain, you know, the, the middle of semi truck tires going by you, and and uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Up and down mountains and through every type of climate you can imagine. When I started it down in the south, it was on March 11th, so that was the eight year anniversary of the big tsunami that took a lot of lives in Japan. Mm. Started it that day in honor of the the families that were affected by this. So it was a charity that was helping children from the families affected by the tsunamis, of which Japan has about 150 on average earthquakes a year. I mean, it's just constantly getting hammered. So there's a lot of work to be done with the kids there. But I, So I started on March 11th uh, down in the southernmost tip of Japan, down in Kushu, and made my way through Kushu, Honshu, which is the big middle island where Tokyo's in, and then up to Hokkaido, mm. and Hokkaido all, all the way to the far north. So when I started in Kushu, that was... It's like tropical, like palm trees, beautiful beaches. Oh, it's just gorgeous. And then the further I'd climb my way north, it was as my brother who was on the support team with me, he said it felt like we were going from Costa Rica to Siberia. Mm. It was just like five, six foot walls, like almost two meter walls of snow along the highways. And my hands were just freezing. I had to put on like four pairs of wool socks and then plastic bags over my shoe to keep the wind out. Because I mean, I literally was like, my legs were stuck out and I'm just like hand cycling like this. And my feet are the ones taking the wind the Mm. entire time. Frozen. All my toes were purple at the end of almost every day up there. But uh, yeah, great experience. Yeah, you did that as well. (laughs) Um, and then you also, I think this will be a fun story. You crossed the Atlantic Ocean on a bike. For I did charity. do that. Yep. yep. Did that. So that came to life because I gave a, a talk in Mexico, uh, about a year and a half ago. And in the audience were a couple of guys that, that came up afterwards and said that they were going to charter a yacht, um, to cross the Atlantic Ocean and as part of the ARC, so this Atlantic Yacht Rally um, crossing. And they asked if I wanted to be on that, to which I said, absolutely. And then I asked when, because <laughs> I'll prioritize that. 
And in the course of the conversation, I said, you know, one thing, and this is this has been in my mind for quite a while. I thought it would be really interesting to get like a stationary bike from a gym and put it on a cargo ship and cross the ocean and and try to cycle as many kilometers on that bike as I could to to as however many um, kilometers as it took to cross the sea, I'd cycle on the bike while that boat was moving to, to actually cross the ocean on a on a bicycle. I told them this idea and they're like, well, we can strap a bike onto the boat, like no problem. And so they were all excited about it. I talked to the captain. He was he was more captain about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, uh, that's not a great idea. You know, you're going to blow your knees out because at any given time, he, he asked, he's like, have you sailed before? I've never sailed before. So he's like, okay. So, you know, any given time, the boat's going to be at like 45 degrees. And when cycling at that, you can easily really damage your knee at an on, you know, ongoing exercise that way. So he, and so he said, what, you, what you're going to need to do is find a way to get a gimbal, um, like a hammock, mm. kind of, so where the bike always stays still no matter what the sailboat's doing underneath it. And turns out he and his friend run a, uh, a, a fabrication group, like an engine. Um, they're engineers, but yeah, a fabrication shop down in the south of England in Limington. And they took on the job. So I went uh, and... I, I got a bike in, in in England. I was in London at the time, just traveling. I was there for a talk, and I I'm not good at eBay, so I'm on eBay. I found a recumbent bike, and I hit buy, thinking that was going to take me to the buying instructions. I accidentally bought the bike. I just got this email that said, "Congratulations, you just spent a thousand pounds on a recumbent bike." That's brilliant. So uh, so I had to hire a van that day and go out and pick this damn thing up two hours away. And then took it to the shop down yep. in the south of England. It was a seven-hour road trip that one day because I accidentally bought this bike on eBay. But they uh, they repurposed the recumbent bike, set it up to this resistance mechanism. Took them a couple of months. We shipped the whole thing down via cargo ship into Port Denia in Spain where they fit it onto the yacht. It was a 92-foot sailing yacht. And then, uh, yeah, about a month later, we sailed. So we sailed out from Gran Canaria over to St. Lucia. And within 14 days, yeah, I cycled 6,434 kilometers and and I and I had to do at least as many kilometers as the boat sailed every day, including jibing and all the other stuff that it was doing. Um, and I did it. I, I beat the boat by about 500 kilometers. And it was it was great when I got into Saint Lucia. The captain's like, "I want this bike off my boat." And I was like, Ugh, "What am I going to do? Like, how am I going to do this?" And I went into the 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 sailing kind of port authority in Saint Lucia in the in, in the Caribbean and. And I told him, I said, look, I'm, I've just crossed the sea. And the woman finished my sentence. She goes, on a bicycle. We know. We've been following this on social media. This is brilliant. I was like, oh, good. I said, do you know of anyone that would like to, to, to have this bike? Like, I, I need to get rid of this boat, or this bike. And the ship is actually leaving at noon. It was the morning. And the captain's pretty strict. And, uh, and she said, yes. She goes, if you go give it to us, we'll set up a monument for you here in St. Lucia that people can come and sit on the first bicycle to cross the ocean. So now I have a monument in the Caribbean uh, named after me in St. Lucia. So yeah, it's uh, that's a lot a, of funny stories along the way. That's a cool story. So how many how many world records do you I've, have? I've got three, and like world first. So I'm the first person in the world to to finish Vasalopa without ever having skied before. Mm. And the race organizers told me that. First person to cross the Asian continent on using only my arms, mm. which is a bit of a bizarre one. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, so across the entire distance there, 2,112 kilometers using just my arms. Um, and then uh, the first person in the world to bicycle across the Atlantic Ocean. And it's funny because Guinness and I, I know the team in London fairly well. There's a there's a person in particular I speak to at, at Guinness Records often about these things. And they, I, they didn't give me a Guinness record 
for the past couple because they said that I they're too. Let's see if I'm phrasing this right. I'm remembering the email I got from them. They're too difficult for other people to replicate, so therefore they're not really allowed to be called a world record, but they're a world first, yeah. to which I love. I actually wrote her back. Her name's Jen. I wrote her back. I was like, so are you saying that these are too difficult for Guinness records? She's like, keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, I'll take it. Yeah. So that's fun. I like but, that. But you've now been drawn to write to play. I have and been. And that's your next challenge is, is raising money for them. And yep. we've been uh, trying to raise money for Right to Play for a number of years. Right. And we, we are obviously through our one uh, donation, one education campaign, uh, doing it again this year, trying right. to get more children uh, into education through play. Uh, and it's obviously a cause that for us, it's... Um, it's close to our hearts. It's yeah. it's about education. It's about sports or, or play, uh, and you know through giving a scholarship, um, you can help uh, kids get get the education for one full year. And that's what we are asking our student athletes in the states to do, our former student athletes, you know, and um, to raise awareness around that. Yep. For us, it's important. Uh, but why did you land on right to play as your charity? Well, it's in, in so many ways, the stars aligned almost perfectly. Um, so with every every challenge that I take on, I raise awareness for new children's cause. Uh, so for me, it's just a personal drive. I'm really passionate about helping children's charities. I, I mean, we could have five more episodes around all the things I've learned from working with kids and charities alone. So for me, I've seen too much. I can't not help kids. <laughs> and the, the concept of for protect, educate, and empower kids using elements of play is right at the heart of everything that is important to me in my universe. There's really no like play, giving people the the space and freedom to be kids and use elements of play and then focusing on the education and development of the of the children in their journeys. That is that is it's almost bizarrely perfectly scripted for the way these challenges come to life and the reason that I'm passionate to do them. I came across well, no, I've, I've, so I've lived in Norway now for three years and shortly after moving to Stavanger some good friends of mine told me about right to play so I've known of them but I hadn't met anyone associated with right to play yet uh, at the time and then I gave a talk uh, in Ullevall Stadium here in Oslo uh, about nine eight nine months ago and in, in the audience uh, it was really it was really lovely and this woman came up and she said I wonder if I was going to meet you I was like what do you mean? And she said, because she'd seen my talk, and she said, I'm the person that approved the deal for the Norwegian Olympic ski team to sponsor you for Vasalope. I was like, oh. <laughs> she's like, I thought I recognized you. And then as your story went on, she's like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. Because <laughs> I was living in Australia at the time. So we had a great chat, and then we all we got lunch together, and she was with this incredible guy named Jimmy Vika, who is the national director for Right to Play Norway. And so the three of us sat down and had a chat. And she's like, I, I have a feeling that you two would really get along because Jimmy's got some incredible stories, uh, not just from the charity himself, but also his running adventures that that guy does. And I'm for the next challenge, it is in the, the sport of running. And I, he's, he's a tough act to follow. I can tell you, just absolutely incredible. And, and connecting with the energy that was him and hearing more about the charity and then and then... I, when this next challenge started to take shape, I just called Jimmy, had his details and called him and said, mate, it would be an honor to represent 
you guys and and do some ambassador work for you for the year ahead and uh yeah and the stars just aligned and and it fit with their ethos with what they're looking to do i think the challenge is just crazy enough that they found it really interesting and want to be a part of it and thankfully they were willing to have me represent them for the year ahead so all of my efforts for the year ahead now are going for right to play because when we spoke to jimmy and we, we talked about they have ambassadors, you know, sporting yep. ambassadors, and but you are also an ambassador, right, to play. And uh, our appeal to our student athletes is that they also become student athlete ambassadors of right sure. to play by helping, donating, and, and spreading the awareness of this. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's like it's a pay it forward kind of thing, you know, especially with. When, yeah, it goes back to it. It's it's not an opportunity to help people. It is a responsibility. And when we do have, when we do have things that open up in our life, and we're on a journey, especially around growth, you know, with education, and we have the ability to give back to others around us in the world, it's 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 a must. I I do think, and, and time definitely finance, you know, money donations certainly helps. I think that's uh, it's it's a big call out to, for people to get involved. Yeah. We we gave or find scholarships for our student athletes and we're asking them to give a scholarship back to someone else. Uh, that is uh, it's it's a good good thing to be part of. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Like I said, it's I, I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of great people in in my life and and I have no doubt I'm gonna continue to meet great people. Um it, you know, working with Olympians and working with folks from the charity space and working with different organizations and associations around bringing these challenges to life and just all sorts of stuff. And then, you know, giving coaching and um, keynote talks. You get to meet a lot of really lovely folks. The most insightful and impactful people I've ever met are kids. Uh, kids and also kids in desperate situations because you see resilience like in action. You see endurance mindset. You see... Some of the most, uh, some of the the wisest insight on how to live a life in its fullest way from kids, and I think creating an environment that allows them the best ability to live to their fullest, it's what we need to do as people. We need to contribute. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Definitely, and especially, you know. Um, we're so privileged and I think we take it for granted sometimes. And the fact that a small amount of money can help several kids mm. go to school for a year. Yeah. I think that's the most wonderful gift you can ever give to someone. And I think that's an important thing to think about when, uh, when you're contributing to a great organization like right to play. And you, you talk about, you're hard to, to, you're not inspired easily. But nope. every time, I, I can get inspired, probably easier than you can, Trolls. But when, when you came back from Right to Play and then Josh speaking, you were kind of glowing and you were all about it. But every time I'm involved with Right to Play and have meetings there, I feel the same thing. Yeah. And it's, it, like you say, Josh, it's a responsibility to, mm -hmm. to, to, to help. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more of our student athletes that are doing this, and it's great to see our student athletes 
you know, getting involved and, and helping mm. uh, spreading the word, but also with with some of their student funds. You know, it's. Uh, but I think it's. Uh, this is just not not just for adults with yeah. huge paying jobs to no. to to help. This no. is at every level and yes. even even the students. One hundred percent, even the students. And it's it's I, I was given some really great advice by um, a, a charity that I worked with, a, a woman that was a part of this charity called Sandra Sederholm from Stavanger, actually, amazing person. And when we went into these camps in Lebanon to meet these kids. That the charity was helping and helping them and their families and the Syrians and Lebanese um, kind of the new system of, of of life that was there on the other side of the mountains in the Syrian border. When we went in, she said, "You're probably going to get a feeling where you feel like you need to help everyone, right? You're going to hear about these causes and there's or these situations and these families, and your heart is going to go all over the place." And she said, "Never ever forget." If you can just help a person, then that is the that is the spark that can change the world because that person can help a person or someone can be inspired because you helped a person. It's not it's people might be listening and sometimes there's fatigue sometimes, which I get. I mean, I, I very much work and live in the charity space and it's like, oh, yeah, there's so much that needs to be done. It's like, yeah, there is, which is great because we're so many people that can help. And if so many people did one thing, if they just made the one donation, it's uh, that is the systemic shift that we need to be able to help so many people in the world. Just starting with one. Mm. Well, the next adventure is uh, to to run in the sky. Yeah, there's a sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the part where run and then in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. August yeah. 2021. August August 21 uh, 2021. Uh, looking potentially into September. So there's a lot that the engineering team and I don't know that we don't know yet. There's a lot that's still you know coming to life around it, but um. Basically, it, it came to life while I was out bicycling across the ocean. So I was out there in the middle of the sea and cycling a lot, you know, 10, 11 hours every single day and looking up at the sky often and just starting to realize when I was in the middle of the ocean, I realized that there was no planes, no birds. There was nothing in the sky, which which was kind of different, um, different view that I'd ever seen days in a row and then I started to think about how 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 we interacted with the sky and because I've been cycling for so long I probably was a bit delirious I thought yeah how interesting would it be if we could get an airship that was powered by running and be the first person to run through the sky so when I got back to Norway I called the civil aviation authority up in Bodan and and spoke to a couple different people who all really loved the story and and said, yeah, that's something you could do, but you need to get proper engineers involved. And we have a process to go through for it, but they loved it. And and so I've been speaking with a number of different organizations around Norway um, in the U.S. as well. We've got a former astronaut from NASA on the team helping steer the vision and the engineering direction, working with an incredible engineer out of France who's done blimp um, engineering before. So the idea is... It'll be a massive uh, helium blimp, like a Luftschiff or you know airship, mm. and underneath it is a bit. So it's 180 cubic meters uh, airships at this point, and underneath it, we're inventing a a running like a treadmill device that is going to power the propellers on either side. So the whole airship forward trajectory is going to be powered by me running. 
So it's like out of a cartoon. Yeah, it is very much. Most of my life is. <laughs> it's like being at about 200, 250 meters in the air. And so there's a lot that, you know, we're working with the meteorology departments and we're working with on the wind and all this other stuff. But the view is to hopefully be able to go from Lofoten all the way down to Oslo. But that, the, the distance has shifted a few times. I was thinking Stavanger to Oslo because I used to live in Stavanger. Now I live in Oslo. I thought that'd be quite cool to get both cities on the map. But the wind between those two cities, that uh, can either make the trip very, very fast or very, very bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> but how far are we? I mean, you're talking a thousand kilometers yeah, uh, yeah. roughly. Yeah, if, if it is between those two. But again, it's not the same as land kilometers because hopefully with wind carry, you know, it's I'll be able to gain some. But the view is probably 40 50 kilometers a day so it could take up to a couple of weeks mm. um, bringing it down at night and securing it and yeah, you wouldn't stay on there yeah <laughs> 24 I, which is what i wanted to do but they're like no so uh yeah when i spoke with the engineering team last week they said that i'm gonna have to go and get my hot air balloon pilot license which i'm pretty excited about that it's uh will be super useful after the challenge <laughs> and then um yeah all sorts of other things so i'm just documenting the whole process so it's all on instagram um we're building a youtube channel here not soon as well and so the, the great thing about this challenge is it's just taking people through how to bring a big idea to life because it's never been done before and uh i'm just going through the processes of making it happen so yeah should be fun uh, we can't wait for august and to follow the adventure yeah thanks um, I just think that we should finish it off by saying, you know, follow Josh on his Instagram on the charity adventure. Thanks. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. to hear your story. And I would definitely read your book if you would ever, you know, release a book. Um, I think Kim and I have had a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. And I, we got a bit philosophical there, but this is also, I mean, charity and, and your journey, we were inspired by different journeys. Yeah. Yours is a little bit different than to uh, our student-athletes' journeys, but a lot of the things they can relate to. And 100%. I, uh, this was a refreshing uh, conversation, and I hope uh, more people enjoyed it. Trust me, the, the, the pleasure is absolutely mine, and I just, I just hope that uh, everyone listening to this is able to take some elements out of it, because as you said, my... Yeah, the journey's been a little bit different <laughs> with the story that's resulted, but I'm no different. I, the, the people listening to this have the same ability to rewrite the story or write the story that they would love to read. And uh, also reach out if people have any questions. I always love having a chat or answering questions and helping people in their journey. And I think, you know, the organization, like having CSUSA and really helping people along that pro, like with the program and insight and community around bringing these dreams of theirs to life is incredible. I wish I had this when I was traveling. So um, yeah, I think just that's a that's a tip. Hopefully some of the my story was helpful and uh, reach out to people around you, myself included, if uh, we can help along the way. Thank you so much. Great.